welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Okay, so my kind of topic is finding a quiet place. And sometimes I think uh, we talk from our experience of our Christianity. And I am a little older than you. And you might not actually, because you have probably been brought up in a different Christian culture to the culture that we were brought up in, you might think that doesn't really apply to me. I've never struggled with this kind of an issue. But I think it, it is important to realize that there are many, many Christians who have and still struggle with certain concepts about hearing God. And if you are going to minister to them in any way, it's really helpful to understand why people struggle. Because you might say, I just don't struggle. And you might have had a really um, helpful, fruitful uh, upbringing of Christianity that has really helped you to hear God. But there's many people who haven't. And I think partly as we learn in school, the purpose is really we want to be able to minister to others. Now, minister doesn't mean stand on a platform. It doesn't mean uh, become a pastor. It just means be able to share with people something that you have of God that they don't have. And, and I think sometimes understanding why do people, why, why have you got a big problem with that? And I think when I, I was kind of growing up in church, the big thing was you had to have a quiet time and a quiet time was much more holy if you had it in the morning so it was much better in the morning somehow either it made you more holy or God listened to you more in the morning I'm not really sure but um, you could start the day off better if you'd had a quiet time and to be honest in all of my years of being a Christian that was my number one failure I failed consistently to get up in the morning and spend time with God. I have had little phases where I did it. At one point, I, I started getting up at five o'clock in the morning to spend an hour with, hour with God. But for me, I, I worked a lot of shifts. I was usually exhausted the whole time. And I just could not get out of bed in time. So I spent a long time feeling I'm just a second-rate Christian because there are those holy ones, apparently, who have a quiet time. And some people still get up early in the morning and spend time with God. And I absolutely, completely admire people who do that. And I think it's a great practice. I'm not knocking it. Um, but I think if it's set up as this is how we spend time with God and this is how we hear God, a lot of us are going to fail. And the problem is when you think you've failed is you just give up. You don't find another way of doing the same thing. So, so it's interesting to have the topic of finding a quiet place because the most simple thing to do is tell you, you know, you must get up at six o'clock in the morning and you must spend one hour and this hour must be, oh, we've even had ways of doing it, 15 minutes praise, 10 minutes this, five minutes this, whatever. There's been hundreds of theories as to how you find this quiet place with God and hear his voice. And great, if you can have an hour in the morning and you 
have a time with God where you hear his voice and worship him. Fantastic, amazing. I, I think it's great. I, I, I wouldn't knock it. But I wouldn't put it up as this is the only model of how you hear God's voice. Some people are awake at night and they spend the last you know, part of the day with God in inverted commas. Um, but I think that there's, that's not really what I want to talk about when I'm talking about a quiet place. And I think there's two aspects to finding a quiet place. The first thing is the obvious one. And, and the obvious one is if you are busy and if you have a family and if you have three kids running around or you have a job or you you know you, you're, you're busy with the things of the day yes God can talk to you definitely even in the busyness of the day but there is a time where sometimes we just really need to set apart a little bit of time to hear God and in the busyness of the day there might be some practicalities that say I just need some time and so there is, a, there is a physical quiet place to hear God. So it might mean that you have to say, um, I am going into the room for a while. Some people do have a room that they pray in. Uh, that's not because God only speaks to you in a prayer room. It's just the practicality of this is a quiet, set-apart place that I can concentrate on God without being disturbed, really. Um, some people do it in different ways. Personally, I would rather get out and walk on the beach or something if I wanted to hear God. I'd rather go and walk somewhere or go swimming or something like that because I, I can find a quiet place in that, in that place. So I think there is a practicality. There is something that says, I, for whatever reason at this time in, in my life, I'm too busy. There's too many things happening. I'm distracted. And therefore, physically, I need a quiet place. But that doesn't have to look like a prayer closet. Okay, you don't have to have a little, um, you know, uh, luggage room or storage room in the house that you make into your prayer room. That's not what it's talking about. There is that scripture before Jesus taught, taught, uh, taught the disciples, the, uh, you know, when they said, teach us how to pray. And there is that part that says, you know, when you pray, go into your closet and close the door. And um, I think that's where people get this idea that if you're going to pray and find a quiet time, then you have to find a small room and sit in it and close the door. And I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think if you read it in the context of what he was saying, he was saying this is how the pagan, this is how the heathen pray. They make a lot of noise, they wail, they repeat a lot of things and it becomes a performance. And what he, I think what he was saying to them is prayer in that context, is, it's not about making a performance. It's about a, a quiet relationship between you and what he then went on to say was Father, because he's taught them to pray Our Father, which actually is a radical, a radical statement when he says Our Father. It's not radical to us because we've prayed it all our lives, but for, for Jesus to say this is how you pray. So people have got this idea that if you want to hear God, you've got to sit in a closet somewhere and shut the door and have a quiet time. Great, 
it's great if that's what you want to do. I have no problem with that. Um, but that, I don't think, is a model that says in order to be a good Christian and hear God, you have to sit in a room with the door closed. So I think physically there is a quiet place. And I think if you do want to hear God and you can't hear God uh, or you're struggling, then sometimes it is, a, you just come apart and you just find a physically quiet place. Because when, you know, when we've got a lot of external noise, then sometimes we just can't really hear God. But, but I would say, and I think for those of us who are not, you know, not living in families, it's very easy to find a quiet time. Most of our life we can find a quiet time. But I think if you do have the demands of children or, uh, you know, the demands of a very busy working life, I think there does come a time when you do have to consciously set apart a time that is just for you and God. God can talk to you in the busyness, but I think if you if you're really wanting to spend that time to hear God, I think there is a place of, of setting time aside. And I think that's why Jesus, there's a number of statements in the scriptures that says, you know, as was his habit, Jesus got up and prayed, you know, before the sun rose. So Jesus often went up onto the, into the hills. He often went, he, he says he prayed overnight. Um, and, uh, if you just want, you can make a note of these scriptures, but you can just look them up anyway. Um, I think it's Mark 1. Hmm. Lost my list here. here. Um, Mark one thirty-five, Luke 5.11. So Jesus did have this habit of taking himself away and spending time with his father. And I guess that's another scripture that is used to make us feel very guilty that we're not very good Christians because we didn't pray overnight and then carry on the day. And I think we can learn something from it. Jesus obviously did. He did set aside time. He did say, I only do what I see the father doing. He obviously had this communion with the father that um, didn't make him tired because he did it early in the morning. Um, so I think it's, it is really valuable to, to recognize that's what Jesus did. But I think you also have to see it in the context of what Jesus did for the rest of the time. And if you look at the accounts of what Jesus did, basically everywhere he went, he was followed by crowds and crowds and crowds of people who never left him alone. And he seemed, it seemed like he found it very difficult to get away anyway. So I think that the, the point that I want to make from that is not to create a Christianity where you're more like Jesus if you get up at four o'clock in the morning to seek God, but that it's a really important part of our life and of our commune, communing with God, of our conversation with God, to set aside a time that is not when you're also watching the television and making dinner and doing other things. It's just a, part, a, a place in our life that says, I, I am going to just set aside this time. And I think for Jesus, he had to go up to the mountain before anybody else got up, because if anyone else was up, they would have been demanding healing or, you know, bread and fishes or wanting them 
to teach him. Do you understand what I mean? We can get into these religious things by saying, well, that's what Jesus did, so that's what we should do. And, and Jesus did do it, and it's really important that we set aside time in our life, in our day, that is for God. But I don't think it has to be you go out to a mountain at four o'clock in the morning every morning. Jesus did that because he needed a quiet place as well. And as far as it, it appears from the Bible account, he was just followed by crowds of people wherever he went. So he didn't have any time on his own. So I think we just have to be aware of how we get into these religious habits. It's really important, but it is not about creating a religious habit. It's about creating a value on something. And it is valuable to have a downtime, quiet time, where we just stop and, and just consciously communicate with God, deliberately, purposefully communicate with God and, and listen. Um, it is quite hard to listen if there's a lot of a lot of noise going on. So finding a quiet place has a, a practical element to it. That's what I'm. That's the point of what I'm saying. However, I think the bigger part of the topic is about this whole issue of rest, about our internal quietness, and we can be really busy, and God can speak to us and. God speaks to people in different ways. So, um, I mean, I can be doing anything and God can speak to me. He doesn't only speak to me when I've decided this is the 15 minutes that God is going to speak to me. But I think what, what is the more important thing is, is what is our inner state. And there's a lot of promises in the Bible about living in rest as a as a. a, 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 a promise of the new covenant that we enter into the rest of God and I think that's an internal state and I think when you find that place of rest it becomes very easy to hear God because all the distractions that can go on inside here are not hindering you as much as they are before so what am I talking about um, I think there's, there's a lot of heart issues that can prevent us from hearing God. So, um, any experience of not being able to hear God and why? Inside, yeah. What makes you not quiet inside? Life, very good, yeah. Life is a good, probably the most common thing. Yeah, anything else? You had any? Yeah, emotions, yeah. So, um, usually what we find is Usually what I find is when we started when we started soaking as a church, so when we kind of uh, went to some of the Toronto conferences and they were really into soaking and we really took it on board as a church and 
I'd just started coming to Kingsway and I was really busy at work and first of all I thought these guys are mad. They think that you just lie on the floor and that's going to achieve something and I didn't really get it. I didn't get why people were so keen on soaking and one of the reasons I really hated it was because I'd lie on the floor and the minute you lie on the floor or whatever this mind starts going round and round and round. You didn't pay the bill, you didn't feed the cat, you didn't phone your mum, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Don't forget to do that. I forgot to do that at work. And, and it is, it's the things of life. It's the, it's the things that are bothering us in life that really can distract us. And I, I used to feel really guilty. I used to think, God, here I am, I'm a Christian and I'm trying to spend time with you and all I'm thinking about is all these worldly things of, um, you know, paying my bills and I forgot to do this at work or whatever. And it took me quite a long time to settle down in that. And, and practically for me, I just learnt two things really out of that. The first one was, God is not angry at me for having those things on my mind he, he knows who I am and he's not he's not offended in heaven because here am I wanting to communicate with him but I'm distracted and what I what I learned to do you have to learn your own strategy what I learned to do was write a list so rather than allow it to keep on and on when I I kind of relaxed to hear God and it Immediately, it's you didn't pay this, you didn't do that, you didn't do that. I would, I would just write a list. And in fact, I got to the point where I would say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me. And just think, this is part of God's helping me to hear him. It's not, I'm, I'm struggling to get, to get to God. It's we together, God and me together, are, are getting to a place where we can hear. And, and, and rather than feel that that was part 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 of my life that was against God or contrary to God, I just began to say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for reminding me I need to feed the cat or whatever. And literally, sometimes I wrote a list. And once it's on the list, I didn't allow my mind to think about it again. I just say, it's on the list and that's it. And, and it really works. And I, I think not feeling guilty about it and not not feeling that I wasn't really concentrating on good, really helped, God really helped me. And, and there are issues of life. And sometimes those are issues that are important and sometimes they're not important. But whether they're important or not, we, we still need to find that place of rest where we can hear God. So there's, there's practical issues with that. You you get your mind and you know there's the scripture in Ephesians that says to take every thought captive to the to the to the obedience of Christ and I think what that means is you are in control of what you think about sometimes we think we're not sometimes we think we can't control this mind but we have a command in the scriptures that we are commanded to take this captive to take control of what we are thinking and so um, sometimes we just have to be strict with ourselves. Um, but I think the other aspect of that um, is, Tim, on what you're saying, is the emotion stuff. And that can be a lot more tricky. And I think sometimes it's our emotion that 
prevents us having a quiet place. And I think for some of us, we've, we've really struggled. I've spent days away with God sometimes. I've thought, right, I'm gonna, going to take a few days away. I'm going to, and I've sat there. And sometimes they've been the worst days of my life because here I am, God, and God didn't really speak to me. I, I don't think he did. And, and you, you get in this cycle of disappointment. And, and the truth is probably I spent two days with my emotion and not, God of course was there, but I, I couldn't get out of that place of my emotion. Now, generally speaking, uh, our emotions are not wrong. And I think we can't just push them down and say, that isn't important. And I think that's been one of the Christian's coping strategies in the past where we're ignoring emotion because that's part of our flesh and we're not going to live in the flesh so we'll push that aside and we'll try and be spiritual but most of us experience the fact that that doesn't work very well and when we say emotion we usually mean bad emotion because if we're joyful or happy we usually don't have a problem hearing God so it's usually things like offence having taken offence. Do you, know, do you understand that word? Somebody did something and you got upset about that and you... Um, possibly guilt, uh, possibly you're just angry with somebody. Somebody did something and you're angry with them. Um, I guess it could be um, fear. I think fear is a really big one. Fear is top of my, top of my list. I think if we're afraid, it is really hard to hear God. And the problem is, often when we are afraid, that's the time we really desperately want to hear God. And so th there's a place of dealing with our heart issues. And how do you deal with your heart issues? What are the ways that we do that? Say you are wanting to hear God or you're wanting this place of peace in your life and you have a heart issue. So uh, <laughs> it's hard to think of an example. Um, Chris drank all the milk again in the house and you didn't manage to have any breakfast. Because Chris is just like that, isn't he? He's really selfish and doesn't think about anybody else and what about me this is the third time this week I've had no breakfast or you have to use your own example okay but you know if you if you're in that kind of place of your emotion preventing you or you're upset or something happened and you got a broken relationship for whatever reason or you're just having this inner how do you find a quiet place in that place what other ways we have of so I think forgiveness is a really big part of finding a quiet place it's a massive thing and as 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 people we will be forgiving until the day that we die Maybe afterwards, maybe we have to forgive in heaven as well. I don't know. There's no, <laughs> who knows what will happen. You, you never get to the end of forgiveness. 
because it's part of our human state. It's part of our, our living together as human beings. And I think when you realize that to forgive is just part of God's nature, it's part of who God is, and therefore it's part of who we are. And I think one of the, one of the great things about the gospel of grace, if you can really grasp it, is, is really we just don't have any place whatsoever to hold anybody else in unforgiveness because we have really been forgiven much and we have really been given much and there just really isn't a reason to hold anyone in unforgiveness. That's our theology, right? The practicality is we get hurt, our hearts get hurt, um, we get disappointed because the same thing happens over and over again. Sometimes we can't make the person change. Sometimes it's something that happens and you can't actually change that person. It, it's going to keep on happening. But I think it is. It's remembering. It was Irving spoke on forgiveness, isn't it? And John spoke on forgiveness. So it's, it's just remembering to forgive. And sometimes we forget. I know it, I know it sounds ridiculous, but sometimes you can spend the day thinking... You know, why did they do that? And, and then it's hours until you think, maybe I have to forgive them. And so I would say, be quick to forgive. Be quick to remember to forgive and forgive. And remember, what we're forgiving people is, you, you, when you forgive, you forgive them. You don't ask God to forgive them. You don't ask God to do anything for you. You are the one that releases the person and, and identify, what the lo identify what it is. Uh, if you can possibly do it, say, I forgive you for. And I think that's one of the great things about Sozo is it kind of helps you to recognize, yes, I've got this behavior pattern or thought pattern, which is a bit illogical, really. It's a bit of a response. But then when you look a bit deeper and find out what, what, is, the, what is the loss, what have they taken from you, what do they owe you, what's the issue, uh, I don't feel valued, I don't feel respected, what, whatever it is, it's, the, it's that, that thing of, it's not forgiving somebody because you're just a jerk, it's forgiving somebody because you didn't respect me, or, and I think if you can identify what's the, what's the root problem here, why am I really upset, it's not because you move my shoes, because I don't have a problem with you moving my shoes. It's because when you move my shoes, I feel like whatever, whatever. Do you understand what I mean? It's, it's asking God to help you understand why you are hurt by somebody's action. Because most of us don't deliberately want to hurt each other. Most of us are not um, out every day to deliberately hurt one another. It will be something I don't think about, or I was selfish or thoughtless, but somehow it really hurts you. But it really hurts you probably because it triggers something in you that is not yet whole. And I think it's, it's asking God the question, what's the issue here? Why does that upset me so much? And the forgiveness is on that point, that point of, of what, it, what it did to me, why? why? So I think um, the, the Kylo helps quite a lot with that understanding that communicating our emotion rather than communicating blame. So sometimes if we're not careful, we forgive people and blame them. 
you understand, because you did X, Y, and Z. Whereas I think the real healing of forgiveness comes when you can just acknowledge that made me feel whatever, and you forgive them for the emotional impact on you. Yeah? Do you, I mean, I think we've talked about forgiveness last week and the week before. Are you, do you feel that you've come to a greater understanding of that? Or you already had a great understanding? Is it something you, I think we struggle in practice with it, but do you understand the theory? Yeah. And sometimes it's just remembering to do it. We forget that that's what the problem is. And it can be the end of the day and you think, I didn't forgive them. I didn't, I just didn't think about it. Um, or you might not want to forgive them. And if you don't want to forgive them, then you're probably going to have a difficult place in your life until you decide to. And, and that's, that's okay. But that scripture is true. Um, that, you know, if you don't forgive, it says... The, the, the tormentors will be sent to you. I don't think that's because you suddenly get a load of demons hanging on you. I think it's, you know what it's like in your own life. The torment of unforgiveness is not nice. It's horrible. I, I can't stand living in unforgiveness. And yet I still do. And sometimes I do for days because I forget or I'm too offended or too hurt or um, whatever it is. I just want them to pay for what they did. Um, but forgiveness is the key. And if you want to find a quiet place, then the answer is forgive, remember to forgive, keep on forgiving. And sometimes for me, I, I find that if I do come before, before God and just want to spend time to hear him, sometimes these issues of unforgiveness sometimes crop up again. And sometimes for me, I, or, or the memory of a, of a hurt comes back. And sometimes for me, if I know that I have forgiven them, I just speak out and just say, that sin is forgiven. That, that is forgiven. So I just remind it. I mean, you want to you call that voice the devil or whatever, you know, whatever you, however you see those things, <clears throat> those distractions that stop you from really uh, finding that peace. Sometimes I just speak it out and just say, that sin's forgiven, so don't bother me anymore. And I find that quite helpful because otherwise you can get into this circle. So that there's two issues. One is forgiveness can take longer than once. So it might be that God is bringing up another area where you still have to forgive the same person. Sometimes it's just, it's just a bit of an attack of the enemy. It's just a bit of a, yeah, I see, you know, remember what he did, remember what she did. Actually, it's forgiven and it's, it's done with and I don't need to think about it anymore. So I think find your strategy. You just ask God, is this unforgiveness? Am I still in unforgiveness? Do I need to forgive them again? And if so, why is it still hurting me? What, what's the issue behind that? Sometimes I think it's just literally a declaration that says, I'm not going down this path anymore because that is forgiven and it's finished. So you, you find your own strategy and ask God what is the problem. But otherwise we're tormented the whole time by, by these things. Fear. Um, you might not be fearful people, you might be fearful people, but most of us have got some fear somewhere. It, it might hide itself, so it might not feel like, you know, trembling and terror, but we're just 
afraid to do something or we're anxious about something. And, um, you know, Paula Jane saying, we're, uh, I'm anxious sitting with leaders. It, it's, it's a fear for some reason. They're not scary people, but, that you know, there's some things in us. And fear is really the biggest issue when it comes to things of faith. And hearing God is faith, right? He doesn't really talk to us in a way that we can record him. And it's, it's faith. We hear him by faith. And if you have fear, then it's really hard to hear God. And... Um, how do you deal with fear? Well, the simple answer to that is we're commanded not to fear. And I wish that that was enough to say, therefore do not fear. But Jesus said, do not fear. He said, be anxious for nothing. So Jesus, a number of times, commanded us not to fear. So he didn't really ever say to people, oh, poor human beings that you are, it's terribly fearful down on earth. He said, don't do it, which is really interesting. Now, I know for some fears, it's, it's irrational. It's something we can't help. We see a spider and our bodies have already, you know, um, gone into this adrenaline rush thing. But fear is not for us. And there might be a deep-rooted issue behind your fear, in which case there might be an issue of finding out what am I believing that isn't true, what, what's happened in the past that has brought in this fear. But usually it's, it's I mean, there might be a, there might be a deep-rooted issue. So have a sozo, talk to somebody, ask God what it is. But generally fear is, it's just unbelief. It's something that I am afraid of, something I am not believing about the goodness of God, something that I am not expecting from God that he has promised. So there's, there's something, and I think um, one of the ways of, of dealing with fear is, rec of course, recognizing it. But it's, it's, what have I to fear? Really, what have I to lose here? Is God good? Am I blessed? Is he going to do what he says he will do? And it's, it's just a real killer. Fear is a real killer for us because we have got nothing to lose, really. And I think one of the things I was thinking this morning, I think I used to feel quite disconnected from God when I couldn't make a decision or I didn't know what to do or I was afraid of what choice to make. And, and I think that kind of compounded the fear because I really needed God to speak to me. But then I was afraid because I was confused and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know, um, I didn't know what decision to make or I was afraid of the future. Or, and I think understanding that those things don't distance us from God. We don't have to have all of our thinking right and our decisions right before God accepts us. He actually loves us and loves to help us work out these kind of issues with us and so that's a really short little thing about fear fear is a, a much bigger thing and we will talk about it in other aspects but the bottom line for fear is it's not ours to have we really don't have anything to fear and um, the goodness of God is, uh, is, is, is good and his goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life so I'll give you a bit of an example so when I got back from 
being away. Somebody gave me a car and um, that car was a real blessing to me. And I, it, it was just amazing that somebody would give me a car and that I didn't have to worry about how I was going to buy a car because I didn't have any money and all the rest of it. And after about a year, the car began to not be a blessing anymore. So it began to cost me money. And I, I began to get fearful. It's a bit of a strong word, but it is fear, really, about what would happen if I got rid of that car. Because that car was God's blessing to me. And how could I get rid of God's blessing to me? Because I was afraid that if I got rid of that car and tried to get another one, that I was kind of um, not accepting the blessing of God. I know it sounds stupid, but that's what I was thinking. Now it sounds stupid. but And it took me quite a while to realize that I, I am blessed. The car is not the blessing. I am the one that is blessed. And whether or not I have that particular car, that car was a blessing to me because I am a blessed person and God looks after me and God is for me and he provides for me. But the day that that car is not for me anymore and I get another car, that car's also a blessing. I might have paid for it, but it's still a blessing. And I think I was fearful about doing something about the car because I was scared that I would somehow walk out of God's blessing. Now when I say it to you, it sounds stupid, but that's what fear is. Fear is stupid in that way. It's never rational. It never agrees with the purposes of God. It never, it never speaks to our true self. It talks, it talks to the self that is, that is not sure about who God really is. Um, so fear, it's real. We all struggle with it. Sometimes you really need help and you need to get help with someone else because it's a deep-rooted thing that's happened, something in the past, some experience, some horrible experience. I mean, there's some really valid reasons why people are fearful and God can help you with that fear, but sometimes you just need some help and we, we've got lots of tools to help. But if we're just talking about that general daily anxiety or... Um, you know, you all know what it is to be fearful. I think you have to remind yourself of the promises of God. You have to remind yourself who God is. Who do I believe God is? What does he say about me? Um, remind yourself of, if, if you've had a sozo or when you've had a sozo, the, 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 one of the things you come out with over the sozo is the truths God's spoken to you. And um, get your truths out and repeat it to yourself. Um, look in the mirror and remind yourself. And, and if you're interested, we had this whole thing a long time ago, you might about declaring the truth, and we still do it. But um, it's great. Declare the scripture. Declare, you know. Um, if you want to find any, find them on the internet. There's loads of declaration scriptures, um, you know, about who you are. And you just start reminding yourself of who you are and who God is. You don't... Um, you can't really fear in that situation. And, and the, the, the setting free of fear really is when you just look to God again and think, you've done it all and I have it all and you are the answer. 
and that when we're trying to sort out fear in our own mind and you, you just get nowhere so fear is one of the reasons we do not have a quiet place and um, those are a few keys to dealing with fear um, speak to it tell it to go away remind yourself who you are get promises write in your journal you know what has God said about me what is God ask God why am I fearful about this what what am I not believing about you why do I think that I am in danger in this situation okay so this is my little list fear forgiveness we've talked about concerns of the day we've talked about okay I've also put down here your theology okay so um what I mean by that is, uh, is for many of us, our theology has prevented us from hearing God. And the more we teach grace and the more we teach union and the more we live in that place of union, the less it really becomes an issue to us because God never ever stops speaking to us. Did you say that this morning, Claudine? He just, yeah, he's always talking. He doesn't have silent days. He doesn't, he just doesn't. So that means when Paula Jane says, what's God saying about this? You can stop, listen, and he says it. Because he's, he's, God is prophetic. He is always speaking encouragement. He's always communicating. The issue we have is never God. God is never the issue. God, I'm not saying God doesn't remain silent. Sometimes we don't get an answer from God, okay? But that's, sometimes because the answer is not going to help us and it's sometimes because we can't know the answer at that time um, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute sometimes it's just because we're asking the wrong question okay but I think for many people their theology can prevent them from hearing God prevent them from finding that quiet place so uh, I have to get to God I have to have all my sin forgiven before God will find me acceptable therefore I have to repent of all my sin and if I haven't repented of all my sin God will know that I might not know it but God won't hear my prayer and you know there's some scriptures that you could use to to hear that you could you know uh, you can feel guilty because you're struggling to forgive somebody and believing that God is not going to hear you because you're you know and and I think God is always listening. He's, there's nowhere for him to go. He's with us and he's one with us. He can't distance himself. So I think a lot of, a lot of in our past, we've had all of this, you know, I enter through the veil and I come into the Holy of Holies and we've had all this teaching about how you approach God from the outer court to the inner court and you've got to praise and worship and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And we're not living in the Old Testament anymore. We are, he's here, he's, he's in us and one with us but if you have a theology that that allows you to believe that there is a disconnect between you and God and somehow you have to find God again so if your theology says I've sinned and God cannot live within an unholy vessel so somehow Holy Spirit has run away to a safer place and until you become more holy he won't come back to you that's why a lot of people struggle to hear God because they actually believe God is gone He's distant, he has, that we have to approach him and find him and it's all up to us to get to that place where we're holy enough. And we, I used to do it in worship. I'm 
I never do it anymore and I'm really glad I don't but you know, we'd have these worship services or just worship in church and if it's one hour of playing songs and worship I would go in first thing I think is God God I'm really sorry I didn't have a quiet time the whole of this week I'm really sorry this I'm really and I, I would literally approach God I'm really sorry I'm really sorry I'm really sorry and then you start thinking right I've got to get clean and right with God so Let's think of the sins that I've done so that I can be sorry and get back to God. And this is while we're singing and that's not worship. That's, that's trying to gain some kind of self-righteous standing with God in order to become acceptable to worship him. And therefore, hopefully, he will then speak to me and communicate with me. And I don't do that anymore, but lots of people still do that because... We've been taught this theology that says God is somehow distant and we have to approach him uh, and we, we can't let his spirit uh, get away from us. So I think um, hopefully your theology is more whole than our theology was. But if people are struggling to hear God and you're trying to help them hear God, or if you're struggling, just check, is my theology correct? Is what I'm thinking about God correct? Because if you believe God is not going to speak to you because you're unholy or unacceptable or unrighteous or whatever, probably you won't be able to hear God. So um, I would say those are, the, those are the, the kind of things that cause us to not be quiet inside. Any other thoughts? I'm sure there's others, but those are, I think those are the bigger, the bigger ones. How we feel about ourselves, but that's our theology as well. I mean, if you hate yourself and you can't stand yourself and you, you know, you just struggle with self-loathing all the time, self-hatred, it's really hard to hear God. But that's basically a theology because then you're not really believing that you are incredibly loved and lovable and safe and beloved and etc 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 and um, hopefully by the end of five months you will never ever get to that place of ever if you've ever felt it of ever again feeling you know I'm not worthy I'm not lovable dad absolutely loves to speak to his kids and not only does he love to speak to his kids he also loves to make sure they hear him if I had a, a child who couldn't hear my voice I wouldn't say to them you're just so stupid you know, I, I, I'm not going to speak to you again. I, I would speak in a way that my child could hear. And, and that's what God does. He teaches us to hear his voice because it's what he, he longs for us to do. We, we'll have a bit, we'll stop for uh, 10 or 15 minutes and then we'll carry on. Okay, so the, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was... Um, there's, there's the everyday hearing God and I think the more you realise that God is in union with you and never going anywhere and you can't be separated and his heart of love for you is such that he doesn't speak condemnatory things God is not out to get you he's not the judge of the earth who is waiting to tell you what you did wrong 
And when you realise, when we talk next week about the prophetic, that the prophetic is to encourage and to exhort and to edify. God speaks in that way. He doesn't speak to pull you down. He doesn't speak to criticise you. He can rebuke you, okay? There is that word rebuke, and there's this the scripture in um, Hebrews that says, you know, a father will rebuke his child. So God is more than able to tell you, this is not great for you. This is really not a good idea. Either whether it's a behavior or a attitude, possibly it might even be a, a decision that you're making, but I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, but he doesn't do it in a way that you're left feeling rejected and condemned. I don't know how he does it, but he does it in such a way that you feel more loved by the end of it. And he usually does do it with, with, the, with the word. He does it with some kind of truth. Um, so I think when it comes to hearing God, we, we, every day you can hear God. It, it becomes our norm. We just communicate with God. And I could never understand why, why Jesus said, pray all the time, pray constantly. And, and you think, really, God, is that, the, is that the ideal for Christians, that they sit in the prayer room every day for 24 hours and only pray? But I think what Jesus was saying, it's just about this communion that goes on between you and him all the time. And in that communion, he is always speaking. And so there is that, there is that element for us as sons of God where we just, he's always speaking, which is why we can prophesy. Because all prophecy is, is what's God saying about this person? And we can prophesy because we just hear what God is saying and speak it out. Um, so there's that aspect of hearing God, which hopefully you will just become more and more at peace with and realize when you're running, he's talking to you. When you're out and think, wow, that's an amazing mountain, God. And you know, God says, yes, it is. And that's hearing God's voice. It's it's just getting to know Him, and that's part of who He is. And it's a it's a wonderful part of of our Christian life. But what I want to address is that those kind of times when we want direction from God and we've got to hear God. And this is another area that I have tied myself in knots with. Do you understand that phrase? You know what a knot is. A knot. This is a well, if you tie yourself in a knot, you get in a mess. So when you just get very upset and confused. And I think, again, it was, it was one of those kind of um, ideas about God and about us and how God wanted us to live our life. And I don't believe this anymore, but for a long time in my Christian life, I believed that... God created me for a purpose and that purpose was mapped out in life and that he wanted me to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G in order, in the right way. So uh, get this job in this place, marry this person at this time, live in this house, buy that car, go to this country. and that God had mapped out this will for my life. So there was the will of God in, in my life, and my job was to find out what the will of God was and do it. 
Sounds very holy, right? And um, we all want to do the will of God. I still want to do the will of God. But it, it led to this, this kind of relationship with God that was forever me coming to God and saying, well, is it this job or that job? Should I buy this car or that car? Uh, should I go here or should I go there? And God usually didn't answer, to be honest. What happened was circumstances took over. So I would apply for two jobs and I got one job and I would just trust God that that was his will. So God never told me it's job A. It's just I had this place where I, I wanted to hear God and I wanted God to tell me what to do. Um, but I rarely heard him. And sometimes I would get this idea that God said, do this. And, and of course, I could, we all hear God. And, and there are times in my life where I know God said, do something. So I'll give you an example. Um, I never particularly wanted to buy a house. I, I was very happy renting. And I was sitting at home in my rented flat one Sunday afternoon after church. This is years ago. And I really felt God say to me, it's time to buy a house. So I went out, looked at the local estate agent, looked for a few houses, phoned them up the following day and said, can I look at these houses? And, and I bought one. And I know God told me to do that. It wasn't on my heart and I just know that that was that. So God can give us directional things in our life that he just says, this is a good time to do this. You do this. Uh, had you thought about this? God definitely does do that. But I think many of us have spent a lot of time with God, asking him the question, what, what am I supposed to do? Now, it's not that God doesn't care about that question. He does care about that question. But I think where we struggle is we don't hear the answer that he tells us because we, we are in a place where we want, we're saying, well, God, is it A or is it B? And we spend our quiet time going, God, is it A or B? A or B? A or B? Come on, is it A or B? Should I do this or should I do that? And we can laugh at that, but there are some people that I've met that don't get out of bed until God has told them what to wear. And they might be slightly extreme on the fringes of, you know, a type of understanding of God, but. That's how we treat God. We, we, we sometimes get to the point in God where we, we just want God to tell us what to do all the time. And, and it, it sounds quite holy because our heart is we want to do what God wants us to do. But I think what I have learned is one of the reasons why I don't hear God when I ask him those questions is because it's probably the wrong question to ask him. It's probably a misunderstanding of who God is and what his purpose for our lives are. I don't believe personally anymore that there is a single plan for my life mapped out and that my job is to find out exactly what that plan is and stick to it. So you, you might have heard teaching in the past or you might read about it where people would talk about the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. Do you understand that? Perfect is exactly what he wanted. Permissive is what he allows, but he didn't really want it. So that means that you live in this way. So 
God wanted me to live in Sale. But I chose to live in Altingham. So I've kind of missed it a bit because God said Sale. I lived in Altingham. And God is then going to make bad things happen to me so that I have to move to Sale to get back on his path in order to get on with his purposes. So you've got the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God, which means if you stay on the permissive will of God, you know what? You probably missed it. You're not a great Christian. God is tolerating you, but you're not one of those perfect super duper Christians who have completely done God's will. And I think I really don't believe that anymore, okay? I cannot explain to you how God knows the future from the beginning, but he does. But he doesn't control it. So we have free will, and God actually enjoys us exercising our free will. But he knows what we will do. But that's not because we have to do it. I can't explain it to you. It's a concept outside of our understanding of time and space. But I'm very sure now that our life in God is not spent trying to hear him tell us what to do. Is it A or is it B? Is it A or is it B? My point of faith in God is, at the moment, is God probably says to us when we say, is it A? He probably says, yes, great idea. I'm really glad you thought about that. And we say, or is it B? He probably says, that's another great idea. I'm really glad you're thinking about that. And he might even say, have you considered C? Because I don't think A, B or C matter as much as we thought they did. I don't think it matters that you came to sale to do ministry school. I'm really glad you did. But had you decided to go to Amsterdam to do it, I don't think, I don't think God would be so disappointed in you that he's not going to you know, love you anymore because you got it wrong. I don't think there is a wrong in that way. And my point of faith is, if there is, if there is a point in my life that I have to connect with a certain person in a certain place, God is more than able to do that. So if he really needs me to be, you know, meeting somebody in Berlin at the end of this year, he's going to get me to Berlin. As long as I'm openly listening to what he's saying and willing to, to hear what he's saying and do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think we spend a lot of time in anxiety trying to hear God in our quiet place because we're asking God the wrong question. And John, John said it in the first week, and I, I put that quote up, which I, I can't remember, but it's like, it's, let's see if I, I wrote it here. The question of our lives is not what does God want us to do, but who are we? And what is our what is our purpose? Um, so John said something like, ask the right question. Will this bring me life rather than God, what is your will? And I, I, I lived for a long time believing that God's will was definitely something I probably didn't want to do. It was going to be difficult. It was going to be contrary to what I longed for and desired for. And therefore, we'd have this time, I'd have this time of God where 
he'd tell me, I want you to do this thing and it would be a terrible struggle and I wouldn't want to do it and he'd force me to do it or I'd be disobedient. And I just don't see that anymore in my Christian life. I think God has put in us strong parts of his character and it doesn't matter whether you work at A or B or C or D. What matters is who are you when you are working at A, B, C or D? Are you a healer? Are you, a, are you somebody who speaks words of truth? Because God's, I don't think God's economy is so much like ours in that it's so important where it is or who it is. It's more about who am I and who has God created me to be? And really, whatever my environment is, whether I'm working for company A or company B, it really doesn't alter who I am. I'm a giver of life. I'm a speaker of truth. I'm an encourager of people. I'm a healer. And so I think sometimes in our quiet place of hearing God, we don't hear him because we're actually asking the wrong question. And I think sometimes wrong questions are, God, who do you want me to marry? I know that's a bit controversial because if you're, okay, if, you're, if you have a son who is 17 and he comes to you as a father and says, I'm thinking of getting married, what do you think about it? If somebody's 17, I think, yes, probably I, I, you would expect a young son to need some help in making decisions. But our purpose in our Christian life is to become mature sons of God. And if your mature son came to you as a father and said, uh, there's these two or three women, uh, can you tell me which one to marry? Or if your mature son came to you and said, can you find somebody for me to marry? Uh, or can you choose somebody for me to marry? Or can you show me which one you have chosen for me to marry? It's a bit odd, isn't it? But we don't, as Christians, we're forever asking God to show us which one he's chosen for us to marry. Now, maybe it's a bit of a controversial topic, but I don't think God has one person for us to marry. He has given us an ability to choose and decide what we want. And I'm not saying you don't ask God. I'm not saying you don't seek wisdom from others. I'm not saying God can't say to you, warning bells, this is not... You know, this is not right, this is not the one. And I think most of us who's, who's ever kind of been in a relationship that hasn't worked, we, we would know that the warning bells were probably there quite a long time earlier, but we just didn't want to listen to them. So what, I, what I'm trying to say is, because we're talking about hearing God's voice, is sometimes we don't hear him. And I think that's because we have to understand how God speaks to us and what is important to him. And he is not so bothered about the specifics, unless it is of absolute vital importance to him. So what I'm trying to tell you is don't waste too much time anxiously seeking God to find answers to questions that probably he's never going to answer. So. If you're saying, you know, God, should I go to university to study mathematics or physics? Is it mathematics or physics? And then you go away for a week to ask God, is it mathematics or physics? And God doesn't answer you. And it's like, God, why are you so silent? Is it because I'm a sinner? Is it because I've done something wrong? Is it because you don't love me? 
It's because God's in heaven saying, yes, 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 yes. The answer is yes. Mathematics, yes. Physics, yes. Because it's yes. It doesn't matter whether you do mathematics or physics. Because the issue is not whether you've got a degree in mathematics or physics. The issue is who are you when you're doing your degree? How do you treat people that you're doing your in, you know, in your class? How, how, and that's what's on God's economy. And I strongly believe, yes, God does, there is a prophetic purpose in our lives. And there are things that God will put in our hearts. So for me, for when I was a child, God put Asia in my heart. I don't know why. I have no idea why. I'd never been, but I just knew I would always go. And that was part of my internal desire. And eventually it happened. Um, if I'd gone to South Africa or South America, would God be up in heaven saying, what a complete failure? It was supposed to be Asia and you went to South America and he wouldn't. He, he, he would just be happy, I think. And if it was so important, then he is more than able to help us to hear. If your young child is running out into the road in front of a car, you are more than able to get the attention of your child and stop them running into danger. And that's my approach with God now. He is more than able. My heart is to do what his will is. My heart is to be as, as available to him to be the best that I can be all the time. But I don't get as anxious about hearing him in those areas anymore because I don't think he talks to us like that. So we don't hear him because it's not what he talks about. And um, I've told this story a number of times, but you won't have heard it unless you've uh, listened to the Kingsway podcast. But I'm going to tell you as an try to tell you as an example of of how God spoke to me in this situation and how I live a much more relaxed life now because I'm I'm just not so anxious. Maybe I'm older and I've made decisions and I've not you know maybe there is that time in youth where you do have to make difficult more difficult apparently more difficult decisions to set your life in a in a journey but looking back on it <coughs> I would say I just wish I hadn't been as anxious as I was I just wish I hadn't been so concerned that I wasn't doing God's will and because I, I don't think if your heart is correct I just don't think you can get that far outside of God's will if you are determined to be disobedient and determined to do whatever you want whatever God says and determined never to hear him and never to consider him and you don't care about him you can get into a mess in your life okay but if your heart is I, I love you I, I, I just love my life and I want to be a son John talked about how do we behave as sons towards a God who loves us and if we behave as sons or daughters I just don't think you can get that far outside of God's will because he speaks to us and and he 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 just if if it is important then he is more than able to to tell us and that's not because we didn't seek his face and we have to find out his will I think we we really can't help but do his will which if, if I had listened to me speaking this 
10 or 15 years ago, I'd have thought I was a heretic. But I'm just speaking from my current understanding of God. So I'm going to tell you this story. So I made this really big decision, which I will tell you about another time, of stopping my career and going to Malaysia for the reasons that I will tell you about another time. And um, after seven years, it uh, wasn't good that I stayed in Malaysia anymore. And so I came home. And my experience of being away was a real mixture. And the mixture was wonderful experience, knowing that I'd done the right thing from point of view of learnt lots of things, experienced lots of things, travelled, met a lot of people. As an individual, really came to know God much more. But there were quite a number of negatives from point of view of the system of the church was incredibly religious, incredibly law-driven, and from a theology point of view, I, I didn't agree with it. And the consequence of that was, was a, a way of life that didn't bring life to people, okay? That's all I'm going to say, I hope you understand. So I find myself at home, not really wanting to be at home, and really not sure what to do. Because my whole future, as far as I was concerned, was mapped out in Asia. And I, I left not because I had nothing to do. I had a lot of stuff to do. I had a lot of relationship, a lot of opportunities. But it just wasn't good to stay. So I came home. So after about a year of just not really having anything to do, not sure what was my purpose, being pretty sure I didn't want to go back to medicine, but not really knowing what else to do, I, I realized I was in this kind of dilemma with God I, and um, I hadn't managed to put words to it. And I, I remember sitting and it, it was actually when John McDonnell was teaching at Father Hart a couple of schools ago. And I realized that my, what was going on in my mind all the time was this question. And I kept asking God this question. And the question was, God, did I make the right decision or did I make the wrong decision? Was I wrong to go to Malaysia or was I not wrong to go to Malaysia? And I couldn't get that question answered. <coughs> and because I couldn't get the question answered, I couldn't really move on in my life because I just felt stuck. And I, I felt stuck because it, it, both of those op options were difficult to deal with. So if, so I, to me, it had kind of gone wrong because I'd ended up back at home. I didn't want to be back at home. It wasn't how I'd imagined it would be. Things had gone wrong, in my opinion, and there were some sad things happened. And I, I just, so I was like, God, did I make a terrible mistake? Should I have never given up my career? Was it that you wanted me to be a doctor and I'm not a doctor and I've made this terrible mistake and uh, should I go back to medicine? Should I try and catch up? Should I try and, and go back? Uh, did I never hear your voice? Did I, did I, did I, was I deceived? Did you never say give up medicine? Did you, did I go to Malaysia and I shouldn't have gone to Malaysia? And so it was all this, had I, did I do the wrong thing? And 
Or did I do the right thing? And if I'd done the right thing, then God, why? Why, why put me in that situation where it's not nice and it didn't work out and it's not all holy and glorious and, you know, continuing and it's come to an end that isn't great for me and I don't know what to do and, and should I go back to Malaysia? Did I come home when I shouldn't have done, if that's your will? And I was just in this whole mess about, I, I just really don't know whether I've made this terrible decision in my life. When I made the decision, it was a faith decision. I really, I really believe God had told me to do it. Um, so I remember sitting there for the day and um, eventually God did answer me. And he answered me and said, if I answer that question, it is not an answer. The answer will not be helpful. I thought that's really interesting. That, is, that was not the answer that I wanted him to give me. And I was quite annoyed at him for saying that to me. Because for me, I just wanted to know, right or wrong. Bad decision, good decision. Because then at least I can move on. At least I know I made a terrible mistake and I'm just going to go back into medicine and continue. Or I didn't make a terrible mistake, but then why? Why would God send me into that environment? So, so I thought about God's answer and I thought, okay, I can accept that's quite a good answer. Because if you think about it, it doesn't solve the problem. Because if God said to me, sorry, you made a terrible mistake. I never told you to give up your job and I never told you to go to Malaysia. It's a terrible mistake, right? I've just thrown my career away. I've thrown my profession away. I've spent eight years wasting time because I was outside of the will of God and, and um, how am I ever going to hear God speak to me again? How am I ever going to trust myself again? How am I going to... So I realized that had God said, yes, you made a mistake, it didn't help me. It just increased the questions because then I've got 10 or more questions that God has to answer. And if I said to him, if he said to me, no, no, you didn't make a mistake, that was perfectly what I wanted you to do, then why? Why would he want me to go into that situation that ended up not very well? Why? Uh, why then am I at home? Maybe I should still be there. Maybe I should be enduring a bit longer and continuing in his will. And, and I, I just realized that that was quite helpful of God to say, basically say, I, I can't answer that question. The answer to your question is not going to help you. And I, I, I was, I'd never heard God speak to me like that. And I, I kind of settled for that. I was a bit irritated with him because I thought, God, you're being a bit smart here and it's not really helping me because I've still got this problem. But I accept that is wisdom and it is wisdom. Unfort well, fortunately, the next day, of course, I have this wisdom from God and I'm happy with this wisdom from God. But my heart is still saying, but God, could you just tell me, did I do it right or did I do it wrong? Just tell me and I... I won't ask you any more questions, I just want to know. And I think that heart is partly based on this belief that there is right and wrong, that there is good and bad, and that there is one way that is right and one way that is wrong, and that God is this judge that is, 
you know, there to say that is right and that is wrong, this is good and this is bad. And there are certainly things in life that are not good for us to do, okay? Um, I'm not saying God doesn't care what we do. He really does care. But it's not God's economy. He doesn't think of us in terms of you did it right, you did it wrong. He looks at us and at the way that we did it. So eventually God spoke again to me the following day and God only has to say one small word or sentence to us sometimes and it completely changes our life and this is one of those times that it completely changed my life. And um, eventually he said to me, I loved what you did and the way that you did it. So what he said to me is, I loved the fact that you gave up your job and you went to Malaysia. And I loved the way that you did it. So I can't completely explain that, but it, it, it was faith, so he loves faith. And I guess it has something to do with your heart attitude of who you are whilst you're there. And it really set me free, completely, utterly set me free. Because I don't ever ask the question, did I make the right decision or the wrong decision? Because what God is saying to me is, I love the decision you made, which is amazing. He's not saying wrong or right. He says, I love it. I just love that decision. He's not saying right or wrong. It could be wrong, but he's saying, I love it. And he's saying, and I love the way that you did it. And it really brings life and, and it helps you to move on in life because it's talking about God's economy. And God's economy is not right or wrong, it's the tree of life. It's, the, it's, the, it's a living tree. And God can make all things good in that respect. That's not to say choose evil because it will become good. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God's economy is just not so rigid. It's not so strict. And he's not that interested about right or wrong. He's very interested about us living in life and he's very interested in us not living in evil because evil destroys us and is destructive. So I'm not saying that there is no right and wrong. What I'm saying is that's not God's economy. God's economy is life and the tree of eternal life. And life is more about how, how we do it and who we are when we do it. And God, if, I just believe if, if we have made a terrible mistake, then God is more than able to get our attention, so long as we want him to, so long as we, I mean, some of us just decide we're going to do something contrary to his will because we want to do that. And you can do that. That's what sons can do. Um, it doesn't alter your sonship. It just alters the, um, it alters the way you see God, really. That's all that it alters, and it alters your your general well-being, your soul. So it, that might not sound like talking about hearing God's voice, but I think we have to look at the issue of the frustrations that we have when we can't hear God. Some of it is because we're not at rest, but some of it is you have to tune into how God speaks. And he doesn't, he's not as interested as the things that we, he's interested in all parts of us, but he's not, I don't think he is as interested in you, you know, 
getting A, B, turn right, now turn left, stop. It's not like that. He's given us life, he's given us free will, he's given us character, he's given us a prophetic calling. So that's why we'll talk next week about the prophetic words. Prophetic words are not, you know, God saying, you must, you know, go to Africa next year and you must. It's, it's, an, it's an offer of, you know, opportunity and, and um, usually prophetic words are more about who are you, not what do you do, but who are you, what are your... What are you strong in? What gifting has God given you? Are you a healer? Are you passionate about seeing people become whole? To be honest, if you're a healer, whether you're working in Tesco or in the middle of Africa, actually doesn't matter because you just be who you are. So um, I think that's all I've got to say. Um, the more you hear God, the more you realize that he doesn't quite speak the same language we speak. But he loves the fact that we speak our language. It's not, he, he loves that, but the more you grow in him, you realize he's a bit off there somewhere. And, and sometimes that helps because it just cuts out all this stuff in our head that we get so upset about. Because he'll probably answer you and just say, I love you. You think, what's that got to do with anything? I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in the fact you love me. I want to know what about this big issue in my life. And he says, but I love you. And, and Do you know what I mean? It's like he, his economy of speaking to us is, is much better than our, ours. is very limited. Um, so I think, have I missed anything out? So just to add to what you were saying about did you do the right thing? Did you do the wrong thing? Um, when I was at Toronto, um, I had the opportunity to do a diploma um, in ministry, but it was going to take extra work. And um, so I was trying to find out from God whether that was something he wanted me to do. So I'm like, should I do it, God? Should I not do it? Because, you know, what should I do? Because um, I was an intern by this point. So, And I just felt like God say to me, um, what do you want to do? Because whether you've got a diploma piece of paper or not, that's not going to alter what I can do through you and the doors that I can open up for you to do in ministry. Whether you've got the paper or not, it doesn't matter, but it's whether you want to do the diploma. Um, so I just felt like it, when we're doing life, it's like a partnership with him. So it's not him dictating what we've got to do or not do. It's him partnering with us. In, in our life and in our walk. Um, I ended up doing it. Um, so I do have a piece of paper that says I have a diploma in ministry, but not one person has asked to see my piece of paper. Wherever I've gone, you know, I've done ministry all over the place and no one's asked, can we see your credentials? Um, they just come because they invite me because they've heard me speak or they've heard, someone's heard me speak or whatever. So it's God that opens up the doors and, and partners with you, so. But often he gives us the choice. Would you like to do it? Go ahead and do it. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.au.